When you're in the purity of pain, it's so all-consuming that it breaks everything down about who you think you are and reveals something else. Mm -hmm. And the deeper you go into the darkness, the greater you'll find the light. Hey friends, I'm excited to introduce you to my dear friend Akshay Nanavati on The Empire Show today because this is an inside look and today we're going to talk to Akshay who like me is an immigrant and uh, unlike me has served this country in the US military and he's got just a fascinating story and uh, author of a fantastic book, Fearvana. Akshay, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate Honor you. To be here. Yeah. So we were texting, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks ago. You were like, hey, B, looking forward to coming out there, uh, but just want to let you know I'm about to, I'm in, a, or I'm going to Alaska. I'm about to climb a mountain. Tell us how that climb went. Yes, I went to go climb Denali, the yeah. tallest mountain in North America. It was an epic journey, but we did not make the summit because the storms were gnarly, yeah. brutal storms. I mean, it was very, very intense out there. We got to high camp and, uh, you know, which is, we actually passed the toughest part of the climb, which is the move from camp three to high camp at 17,000 feet, but woke up the, I mean, the whole night, the tent was like being battered by the wind. Well, I up saw there. the videos that you yeah. showed me there and it was just, I mean, <laughs> it was intense. That had to be like 40, 50 mile an hour winds easily, yeah. right? Yeah. And that like at high camp is not a place you want to be, yeah. especially moving towards the summit. So, you know, you got to, this nature of mountaineering, the weather, yeah. the mountain's always in control. Yeah. You go out there to experience it and hopefully And you've done safely. stuff like this before. I've done a lot of stuff like where this. Where you're really challenging yourself and yeah. stepping way out of your comfort zone. And in fact, when you and I met, I think it was a Dan Fleischman and Joel Marion's $100 million mastermind. Yeah. Um, when we met, I remember you telling me about all the different ways you like to go about challenging yourself. Um, how did that begin? You know, that the, the pursuit of that suffering began when I joined the Marines. So before this, lived a great life. Parents were, could not have asked for better parents, gave me a blessed life. I was born in India, as you yeah. said, you know, I was an immigrant. Moved from India to Singapore and then to the US at the age of 13. Gotcha. So af soon after moving, I got very heavily into drugs, into alcohol. I used to cut myself. I still have these scars on my arm that you could see burn myself. Mm -hmm. And very, in like this very dark world. And I watched the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you ever seen that movie? Mm -hmm. yep. That movie was the trigger that changed my life. Watching that movie, and I don't know if you remember that scene when Gary Gordon and Randy Sugar, the two soldiers, they, they were in the chopper and they volunteer to go to the ground knowing that thousands of armed enemy, enemy personnel are headed to, the, to, to uh, this down Black Hawk. It was the second Black Hawk that crashed. And they volunteered to go down there anyway to set up a defensive perimeter. Both of them died, but Michael Durant, the man that they died protecting, is still alive today because of their actions. And watching that just triggered something in me. Mm. You know, it, it made me question this very selfish, worthless, meaningless life I was living. I'd been blessed with so much and I was doing nothing with it at the time. And almost overnight, I stopped doing drugs, decided to join the Marines. And it took me about a year and a half to join because I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. So I had to sort of fight my way in. I had to get a medical waiver. And honestly, if it wasn't post 9-11, I would not have gotten in gotcha. because I also have like flat feet, scoliosis. I'm a genetic gotcha. mess. Actually, it's, <laughs> it's interesting that you say that. So pre 9-11, when I uh, attempted to join the Marine Corps, my flat feet is what prevented me back in 1994. And they actually took my friend Dave, I won't say his last name, good dude. He was just like, he's like five foot tall by five foot wide. Mm. And they took him and they're like, you've got flat feet. I'm like, 
I'm fine with it. Like, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm good. They're like, no, no, no. But with him, they're like, he just needs to lose weight. And they started giving him B12 or B6 shots. And he lost and a man. substantial amount of weight where he met the uh, BMI index. Yeah. And he, he went oh, off. Man, and I was man. like, crap, man. Like, That's ridiculous. Right? So, so it's funny. So post 9-11, they kind of loosened the Totally. Because here's a young kid wanting to go Marine Corps infantry. Yeah. Like, there's no way I would have gotten in with my flat feet scoliosis and this blood disorder pre like before 9-11. Yeah. So managed to get in, fight my way in. And that's when I started to learn the beauty of suffering. Mm. You know, the beauty of it, because obviously Marine Corps training was hard. Yeah. And I didn't, I wasn't super fit at the time. I had just gotten out of doing like a year and a half of drugs. So obviously I wasn't in the great shape, but I thrived mentally. Yeah. I graduated infantry school as an honor graduate of my platoon. And then coming out of the Marines is when I started to look for other ways to suffer, other ways to explore how far we can test the human spirit. And outdoor sports became my playground everything like you name it cross-country skiing uh rock climbing skydiving mountain climbing fracturing four bones in three three months from skydiving and rock mm -hmm. climbing like nature became my playground to explore myself and the true limitlessness of the it was soul. a suffering not necessarily the broken bones but suffering as in adversity and hardship exactly. by doing difficult stuff doing difficult stuff yeah. yeah like well i got into ultra running a little later uh and obviously then you know just the marines was hard marine training was always a uh, miserable sure. embrace the suck is like the fundamental mon <laughs> mantra yeah. and, in the Marines, but that's how I started to seek that out and really embrace it. But, you know, and then after, in, in 2007, so three years after enlisting, I was deployed to Iraq as an infantry non-commissioned officer. So one of my jobs in Iraq was to walk in front of our vehicles looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. How did that go for you? It was, well, as you can imagine, went well, you're here. I, I'm here, yeah. uh, thankfully, uh, but, you know, obviously it was a fairly dangerous job because if somebody sure. was going to get blown up, guess who it would be? Right. But at this point, I had developed a comfort with fear. And I developed a comfort with navigating adversity. So I thrived out there. I mean, I, in all honesty, you know, when I went out there, I didn't expect to come back alive. I went out there, well, this is not a healthy mindset at all, but I had lost a friend before I went to Iraq. We had joined the same unit together and we did everything together. We trained together, like we wanted to go to war together. So we volunteered multiple times to go out there. Twice the Marines told us we were going and last minute they canceled it. And one summer while I was vacationing in India, he finally found a unit to go with and he was killed out there. Wow. Because he was a good Marine, he was, he was promoted to corporal and he was placed in a seat that was hit with an IED. And so what happened, I really, I struggled with that immensely. I mean, to this day, there, it, it shows up from time to time. But because when we trained together, you know, I might have beat him by like one point in the rifle range or two seconds on a run, barely, you know, we were the same kind of Marine. So in my mind, I always had this feeling that I should have gone out there to get that promotion, not because I was better than him, but because I wanted to be in that seat where he was sitting so he could have come back home to his family. Mm. So when I finally got my chance to go, it was like, if I have to, again, this is not like a healthy mindset, but if I have to go, I'd rather it be me than somebody else. So when it was that job, I was like, sweet, like, I'll take it, you know? And I didn't expect to come back alive. How did your parents do with the idea of you joining the Marine Corps? They struggled with it, understandably. You know, this was post 9-11. Yeah. So uh, here I am, Indian. I wasn't even a US citizen at the time. I was a green card holder. So joining a country that wasn't my country, fighting a war that wasn't my war. And in, almost certainly I would have gone to war, which I, obviously I did. Yeah. But they were also in a really hard place because on the one hand, they see their kid they didn't know to the extent that I was descending down this path of drugs. Like I lost two friends to drug addiction. Got it. So, so you were doing 
good at hiding it, meaning? I was hiding it. From them. From them. What about the cutting and self-mutilation? I was hiding all of it. Like now they know, because obviously I'm no longer that way. I I did get caught smoking weed in school. (laughs) I was a dumbass. I got caught doing everything. So I I got caught, but they didn't know the how far I was into it, like doing, you know, just you name it, the drug, anything I could find. And uh, lost two friends to it and was like literally could have, that was heading down that path. Yeah. But they, being that I got caught doing everything, like stealing in school, drugs, alcohol, this, that, and the other thing, they were like, on the one hand, you know, they see this kid descending into a dark path. On the other, they see that now I'm joining the military. So they're kind of this between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. They struggled with it. They really struggled with it. Uh, and, you know, even when I was in Iraq, like, it's so much harder for the family back home than it is for us out there. Yeah. We're in the mess, like we're in the suck. So we get to deal with it, Face it, it consumes our consciousness. Back home is always the unknown. So now they're very proud of me. They're very proud of who it made me. I mean, being a Marine is one of the proudest things of my life and sure. serving in that brotherhood, you know? And, uh, but initially it was very hard. It was and a struggle. as you come to the United States, what, what prompted the immigration to the United States for you guys? My dad's job is why we moved around a lot. My dad worked for, well, he, he worked for 3M for 27 years. Wow. So he, he started, th- like with 3, 3M India started, he was one of the first employees in 3M India, kind of worked his way up the ranks and then 15, 20 years later, he ran 3M India. He was the managing director for 3M India. So we moved around a lot because of his job. Yeah. Got it. And that ended That's up kind of being the reason that you guys moved to the United moved States. Moved to Austin, and then I moved to Minneapolis, and then and then after that, I you know went on my own way. But they moved to Israel, and then back to India. No kidding. Yeah. So wow. they moved around a lot. He was running three in Israel, then three in India. So just yeah. where do they around. live now? I'm curious. Back yeah. in India, in Bangalore. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually heading there tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Going there for a few weeks. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, so so you you spend this time in the in the Marine Corps. And it, it's clear why, at least to me, it's very clear why it attracted you. You know, it's, it's hard. Uh, there's the fear of the unknown. There's some kind of suffering and risk-taking mm-hmm. involved. I imagine that the drugs and the self-mutilation was some level of suffering that you were putting yourself through. Have you figured out what it is that triggers this need for suffering in you? You know... At the time when I was doing the drugs, obviously there was a very unhealthy way to channel this. At a young age, I realized, like when I was a kid in Bangalore, I used to play rugby and when we'd get cut, I would love the cut. It was like a battle wound, right? Like mm-hmm. I got cut up. And so there was something in me that I never fully understood or channeled till only recently about seeking, when, when you go through pain, there's a purity to it. It's all consuming, you know, it sheds the masks we wear, whatever mask we put on about the facade in this human condition when we meet people. And when you're in the purity of pain, it's so all consuming that it breaks everything down about who you think you are and reveals something else. Mm -hmm. And the deeper you go into the darkness, the greater you'll find the light. So you have, like now, (laughs) I say you have to, because you do, like in my experience, you have to experience suffering to truly know the essence of, of the human spirit, of what you're capable of, and what the, the human animal is capable of. And really mm-hmm. to, whatever God means to you to understand divinity, I mean, there's a reason why I believe they say there's no atheists in foxholes. Because when you go, when you're in hell, when you taste the edge of life and death, when you're in the darkness, like the absolute darkness, you will find something that you can't find anywhere else. And you have to go there. I mean, that's one of the draws, like wh- why I wanted to join the Marines was, you know, like you said, the challenge. But when you, like war is this experience where you taste the extremes of the human condition. 
You see the absolute worst, the horrors of war, people doing awful things to each other, but you see the absolute best. Mm. People sacrificing their lives for each other, jumping on grenades for each other. And only on those edges can you experience that. And that's the draw now. Like the, the way I see it is like replicating war without the horrors of war. Sure. But that's one of the big draws to the Marines too was serving an institution where the good of the group matters more than the individual. So I also think one of the draws of suffering is that it builds a level of camaraderie that you cannot build unless like when you suffer together, I mean, you get this with, the, with what you do, right? Yeah, the modern the project, night project, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you suffer together, you come together. Yeah. It builds a camaraderie. And so I, I love that experience. It, uh, I didn't fully get it again at the time, right? Like drugs and this, this way became a, there was no virtue in this pain. There was nothing to it. There was, it was not with conscious awareness. There was no virtue to it. Drugs became a vehicle to push myself to the extreme, but obviously it was extremely unhealthy. And thankfully I got out before I sure. easily could have gone to the- and, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, oftentimes um, I'll, I'll quote some stuff that we share in the project on social media, like suffering will introduce you to your highest self. Yeah. Suffering will introduce you to your purest self. Like a lot of, you know, we've all seen it and I'm not here to knock anybody and I'm not gonna mention any names, but we've all seen it where people are beating their chest on social media, but then they get in a ring with someone, whether it's uh, on the mats like jujitsu or it's, they put on boxing gloves and the first time they get hit or first time they get put in a, some kind of a uncomfortable position, an arm bar, a, uh, some kind of a chokehold, they completely changed. They weren't that guy who was beating their chest and talking crap and it's like, holy crap, I, the masks came off, right? On the flip side, in that suffering, if that person chooses to stay in what we call maintain their green, stay calm under pressure, under yeah. chaos, and, and choose to w remember what their coach taught them, et cetera, you begin to meet your highest self. Yeah. And holy crap, if under this level of pressure, I'm willing to do and resort back to my training and get out of this, you know, chokehold. Okay, you know, chin down and get, yeah. wedge the fingers in there and create a breathing gap. And all of a sudden you realize what more you're capable of when there's not chaos around you. It's like the glass exactly. ceiling, the limiting glass Love ceiling it. is raised. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing you say is while you were, I guess you started off doing this unhealthy suffering, yeah. uh, but you quickly realized that, hey, there's this higher level of suffering that can happen where I'm going to meet my truest and highest mm -hmm. self. Um, can I ask how old you are? 36. At, so at 36 now, um, how well do you feel you know yourself? And the reason I ask is because you kind of dropped the term human animal, which makes me wonder if you've read Joseph Campbell's writings. I have. Yeah. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell. Likewise. Yeah. And um, I imagine you've done a lot of the self-work then. And Absolutely. Do you feel you really know yourself now? You know, there's, as you know, of course, there's always more to discover, yeah. but I have gone, like one of the more intense things I've done among many, but I did a darkness retreat where I spent seven days in pitch darkness, silence, and isolation, 24-7 mm -hmm. darkness. So unlike my more physical endeavors, this, you're practicing pure stillness. And when you're in complete darkness, you have nowhere external to go. Like right now, if I'm, let's say in a silent place, there's, you know, those silent retreats that a lot of people do, the Vipassana's 10 day yeah. silent retreats. If you're, you can still, you're still seeing. So I can still look at a wall and say, that's a wall, this is a plant. So my mind has somewhere external to go. In darkness, you have nowhere external to go. So I, you're forced to go within. And that's a very intense and beautiful and profound journey. So as a result of that and all these things that I've done, I feel very blessed to say that I have explored the, like I've explored myself very deeply. And I think I know myself well, but I'm at a point now where I'm looking, because what got you here won't get you there, wherever there is. Mm -hmm. So 
now I'm training for things that have never been done before. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm like not hoping, I will build this massive empire while training for expeditions. Each one of these can be a full-time job, right? Building a business, as you all, of course, know, and training for expeditions that are never done. Each one can be a full-time job. Now, if I stay trapped in the paradigms and the constructs that have built me into who I am today, I will never be able to do something that's never been done before. So therefore, the point that I'm making is, to know yourself, you, you also have to be willing to let go and destroy everything you think you know about yourself in order to create new constructs about yourself, mm. about the human animal, about the human condition, about the world, right? Because your beliefs have worked up to this point. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a good spot. I've, I feel like I've achieved a good amount in my life. But now, what, what, where are those same paradigms limiting me? You know what I mean? Yep. So I've explored myself, but I'm now finding new ways to to shatter what I think I know in order to evolve to a new self. Sure. And I think that journey is relentless, right? Yeah, you're right. Not only is that journey relentless, but it's ongoing in that in that if we had another hundred years to live, like I always I always kind of think to myself that if mom and dad gave me the right genetics and if my environment allows and then my mindset, my attitude, my diet, nutrition, sleep, etc., all line up I'll probably eke out a hundred years on this planet of healthy living, not like yeah. slowly deteriorating and ending up in a diaper and you know for the last ten years of my life. Yeah, uh, and I really believe that, and I really believe those thoughts end up manifesting into into the reality. Well, if I had another hundred years and another hundred years after that, I would still keep peeling the onions of yeah. self discovery. Yeah, and you, you know who who is the consciousness that I am, and discover that, and so. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, my wife and I were hiking the other day, and this beautiful snake, about a five-foot snake, slithered right across our path. And it stopped. We're just kind of looking at it. It's got this beautiful kind of tan and brown pattern on it. And I was like, wow, I wonder if it's like, if it's getting ready to shed, because you can tell like the skin was starting to maybe bubble up a little bit, okay. right? And as I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, that thing is going to shed its skin and have new skin underneath and probably shed again and shed again. And each time we shed the old skin, yeah. the human animal, yeah. and that, that human being or consciousness comes closer to the surface where we get to have better understanding and, oh, that's why I operate that way. That's why I think that way. Yeah. This is why I interact with friends and family and this is why my trust issues are come from and this yeah. is why loyalty issues, uh, loyalty is such an important thing to me. And it's so neat because we need to shed our own skin as well in terms of dying to our old ways as yeah. a good old JC Joseph Campbell says. Yeah. So, so, so to that point, how do you because the Empire Show is about building empires and businesses and, of course, self-discovery and self-betterment. Dude, you know, th there's people who literally get sponsored yeah. to do what you do so that they yeah. can just train and condition and recover full-time. Yet you're also an entrepreneur. Yeah. How do you, how do you even balance all that? <laughs> you know, I chose, when I first started getting into this stuff, I had pondered getting into the sponsored athlete route. I chose not to. Not that there's a right, wrong, good, bad, but I chose not to because... There's a lot of broke sponsored athletes. Sure. A lot of broke yeah. sponsored athletes. And they hold, like, they have to do with kind of what they have to, but they have to kind of play the game of sponsorships. The sponsor kind of controls in some way, mm -hmm. you know. And then when they speak, like one of my sponsored athlete friends told me every time he speaks, he has to mention all the sponsors. And I was like, I don't want to do that route. So I'm going to build myself, build a business, build a brand around what I do that will allow me to then 
kind of fun because these are very expensive. As I was telling you, you know, my Antarctica expedition this year is $120,000, you know, so very expensive. So I'm going to build myself. So how I manage it is, I mean, the fundamental thing is partnering with people who are smarter than you, surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you. I am, my skill set, like where I shine is I am very good at enduring suffering. <laughs> I'm pretty damn good. I would argue some of the best in the world. But most other things I'm like, I don't know much about. I'm not the smartest entrepreneur by any stretch of the imagination, you know? So where can I partner with people to build alliances that allow like allow me to free up my time to train 20 hours a week you know even with my training i'm about to start working with uh, the top dog in the sort of polar expedition and mountaineering coach because mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I know enough about fitness that has gotten me where I'm at, but for what I'm now training for, I need to not just, it's not just mindless suffering, I need to train really smart. So same thing with business. I have blessed with incredibly smart, uh, very successful entrepreneur friends who guide me, who help me. You know, every arm of what we're building with Fearvana is all partnerships. So we're launching a Fearvana clothing line, I've partnered with people who are, know what they're doing. Supplement line, partner with people who know what they're doing, you know? So creating effective partnerships and surrounding yourself with smart people, smarter people than yourself is, I mean, that's where we met, right? At that event where yeah. I was like, arguably the dumbest entrepreneur in that room, you know, uh, the noob compared to most of those people. They were incredibly successful. I was a total noob, but that's like, that's where you learn. You got to be willing to put yourself yeah. in situations where you feel stupid. And I felt stupid in that room, you know, but that's how I grow. So sure. partnering with people allows me to look at, constantly looking at, and you're, it's an ever evolving like thing where where, as, where are those points of leverage where I can say, okay, this I don't need to be doing anymore. Here's where I can outsource. Here's where I can move, move the needle so I can then focus on this, you know? And like my main forte is adventure exploration. Like if I had to, if I had to label myself one category, it'd be adventurer, explorer, not entrepreneur. So I want to, I want to, like, I want to build kind of like what Richard Branson did as the model. Like yeah. he was the brand, he was the face of the brand, right? Mm -hmm. He has nothing to do with most of the Virgin brands, but he built a brand around himself and this identity, and then he licenses the name. So that's kind of the model I want to follow to build uh, the Fearvana empire, the Fearvana brand, because I also believe it's solving one of the greatest problems in the human condition, which is our negative relationship to suffering. You know, because if, if you think about it, if we develop a positive relationship to any kind of suffering, fear, pain, stress, anxiety, struggle, guilt, whatever, like whatever the struggles of life, if we develop a positive relationship to it, inevitably we live a happier life. We live sure. a more blissful life. Yep. And ultimately what is it we seek, right? You can put whatever words you want to it, happiness, fulfillment, inner peace. That's what we seek, right? Some flavor of that. And so what Fearvana is doing is helping people reframe their relationship to suffering so we can say even when I go through the pains of life whether it's a pain that's been handed upon me or a pain I choose to seek I can smile in the face of it I can enjoy it I can fall in love with it tell me about Fearvana like how did you come up with the the, the what, what is now effectively the movement and and you were kind enough to give me give me your book love it um, but, but but how do you come up with the name and how do you describe the movement and all the different, you know, from apparel to supplements and all the different yeah. ways you're impacting. So the name I did not come up with, my ex-wife did. Uh, I had been living this lifestyle, you know, like pursuing fear, seeking it, and we were trying to crystallize it. And when she said it, I was like, that is gold. That's it, yeah. <laughs> like that was awesome. We bought 20 different domain names, you know, yeah. because it was, so I can say with no ego that I thought when I heard it was like, this is awesome, you know? And uh, she coined this name of this idea that we were living, because I, at this point, so when it came up, like I had just gotten out of, to, to kind of bring it back a little bit, when I came back from the war, I struggled. I was diagnosed with PTSD, struggled with depression, 
heavy drinking at a point in my life that I was downing a bottle of vodka at night. This would go on for days on end until I got to a point where I was seconds away from picking up a knife and slitting my wrists after one of these five-day binge sessions. So when I hit rock bottom, that's when I started my climb out of that abyss. And it wasn't like a smooth, easy climb. It was a, you know, crawling, fighting your way from it. I slipped again, all of that. Got to the other side. When I finally kind of really felt I was in a good space, healed, I wanted to share everything I had learned, you know? And uh, I remember meeting uh, Jack Canfield, the author of the Chicken Soup with the Soul series, and I asked him, what would you do differently if you could go back in your career? He said, I would have written my book sooner. So I was like, all right, this would be a good time to share everything I've learned because obviously I'm not the only person who suffered. I had lost two junior Marines to suicide and people, whether veteran or not, everybody suffers, of course. And so how can I share what I'm learning to help people reframe this? So I was like, all right, let me write a book. And originally I was going to call it The Other Side of Fear. But that like, kind of sounds like every other personal development book, right? And so, Shruti, my ex-wife coined Fearvana, and that was gold. And the way now I describe it is the idea of it is that fear and nirvana are two seemingly contradictory ideas. Right? People demonize fear all the time. I mean, how many, people, how many times do you hear, be fearless, don't be scared? You know, fear is, people hear the word fear and don't think of it as something positive. And that was what we wanted to combat. Whether mm. it be fear, stress, anxiety, pain, suffering, guilt, uh, struggle, any of these words don't conjure up positivity. The essence of it was, okay, look, no matter how much I tell people fear is not bad, the word is still gonna have an imprint in our subconscious. So we need to create a new one, right? So Fearvana became the essence to combat this demonization of fear to say that, look, fear and Nirvana are not in fact opposites, but they're complementary. Like fear is not the antithesis of Nirvana, but the access point to it. Mm -hmm. And so the fundamental essence of what we do is to help people develop a positive relationship to suffering of any kind, fear, struggle, all of it, develop positive relationships so they can find, live, and love their worthy struggle. Let me, let me just before you go on, because I think you said it so matter-of-factly, our audience may have missed it. Fear is the access point, the entryway, the doorway to nirvana. To bliss. And Absolutely. to bliss, to happiness. And someone might go, well, well wait, tell me, tell me more. How, how can that be? And my, I would challenge them by saying the things that scare you the most, once you've done them, have given you the greatest joy when you've accomplished that, right? The easiest would be, well, I'm afraid to jump out of an airplane and parachute down. It's scary. I have fear. And you do it and the level of bliss and happiness and accomplishment Unreal. you feel when yeah. you're now embracing the dirt, you know, like, oh my God, that was amazing. Yeah. Launching a business, uh, having a child. I mean, it's so scared to go, I'm gonna get married and have Imagine. a child, start a family, and then you do it, and you're like, <laughs> holy cow, yeah. I get to raise and love and guide this beautiful little package, right? Yeah. Like, like the bliss from that is massive. So yeah. it, it is indeed, fear is the access point to nirvana, to bliss and happiness. Um, and, and you just, you, you know, you're, you're, you're so well spoken no, and you. you speak so eloquently. I didn't want that point to be missed. I think I that understand. is truly the, 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 the gem out of this, uh, this episode here. So, so in terms of your business, how, how do you partner with people? Like, like give me an example of how you start monetizing Fearvana so that you can go and hire a coach and get the gear and invest the time and the food and the training and the recovery, recovery to be able to, right? I mean, recovery yeah. is huge to be able to, especially as you get older, you're 36 at 46 when you're doing this, at 56 when you're doing yeah. this, the recovery gets more expensive. Absolutely. As someone who's 46, I can tell you that, but I love it. Because <laughs> yeah. that has a level of suffering that you're like, okay, 
okay, this is different. Yeah. My body's telling me something. What is it telling me? Yeah. And you listen to it. But but give me an example of how you've monetized Virvana in whatever category you want sure. so that our audience can go, okay, that's that's something I could do as well. Yeah. So, you know, initially when I started, I was just pure one-on-one -on -one coaching. That was the, the... What were you coaching people in? Sort of a life coaching type sure. thing. Yeah. So different, Reach your potential or your goals yeah, in life. Different uh, people with, from all walks, really different from deep mental health struggles to, you know, people who are higher end, like peak performance, you know, so kind of the spectrum. Because mm -hmm. uh, I had been blessed to live that spectrum, right? So I was drawing people in, whether it be I'm on the edge of sort of, you know, darkness, PTSD, depression, mental health struggles to I'm now at the cusp of mastery at my craft and I'm looking for that next edge, you know? But like life and sort of peak performance type coaching, mm -hmm. Completely stopped that because I didn't want to, one-on-one -on -one coaching, as you know, is only so scalable. So I started selling digital information products. We have digital information products around sort of the, uh, the Fearvana ethos. Right now, I have a monthly membership program called the Fear Chasers Alliance. So building sort of recurring revenue engines, you know, and monthly membership where I do live sort of group trainings, yeah. uh, things like that. Right now, that's what we're, that's what the main focus is that digital realm. And uh, where we're launching this year is we, and I also have a nonprofit, the Fearvana Foundation. Obviously, I don't make money off it. It's a nonprofit. And like all the, all the proceeds from the book go to the nonprofit. Gotcha. So we fund, we do beautiful work supporting former child soldiers to survivors of sex trafficking, like really beautiful work that I'm blessed to be an honor to be a part of. But as far as making money right now, it's primarily in the digital realm. And this year, we're expanding to the sort of physical realm with the supplement line and the clothing line that we're launching this year. Uh, and I have partners, as I said, like who've, uh, in fact, Kevin, I met at the uh, at 100 MME, who was like a master at e-commerce and mm -hmm. clothing. So he's built, you know, multi seven figures, if not eight figure brands in clothing. So I'm blessed with again great friends and now friends. In fact, I'm meeting him tomorrow. Um, who've helped me find, figure out how to navigate this new terrain, you know? Yeah. Same thing with like, even with like with, with the artist. I mean, the guy who draws this, he's a legend. Like he's actually was my rack mate in boot camp, in Marine Corps boot camp. No kidding. And now I've partnered with him. He's an incredible artist. Huh. And so we find even the supplement guy with, I met through a friend and like we've partnered, he's, we, you know, have an equity partnership in our, in our brand where he basically formula, creates these custom formulas, brand, like everything. And my job where I'm, I'm still not at the point where, where I can completely sort of disappear off the face of the earth for three, you know, for months sure. to go ski across Antarctica, but I'm working, I'm, again, I'm learning. Like, as you know, when you build a business, there's so many arms, things yeah. you don't know. Yeah. You kind of navigate it one step ahead of time and ideally learn from people who are further along the path than myself, like you and Craig, you know, like I follow y'all and learn mm -hmm. so much in that realm. Uh, Cause that's like, I'm so new to it still, you know, but that's kind of how we've monetized so far. That's gotten me into a good spot where I can now afford to even like, I mean, the Denali, Three weeks in the wilderness in Denali that I just came back from, that's the longest I've spent in the wilderness since 2012 when I spent a month skied across Greenland. Gotcha. So in that time, I went through my kind of low bottomed out after Greenland and then started focusing on the business, doing many expeditions here and there. Like I did a couple of you know week-long trips in Norway. But now I was only at a point where I could at least disappear for three weeks off the grid and still, you know, things are how did, going. How did it feel for you to, you know, since 2012 was the last time you disappeared for a stretch of time. Yeah. I mean, that was some time ago. Yeah. Gosh, 11 exactly, years. Exactly. Right. So how did it feel to go away for three weeks, you know, climb Mount Denali, come back and look at your business and go, 
holy crap, it's still there. It's yeah. functioning. Everything's I mean, it's, okay. <laughs> it's surreal, right? Yeah. Like it's so surreal uh, to be able to be in that spot. Like I feel very grateful and blessed now. There's still work to be done for sure. That Denali was three weeks, relatively short compared to like in November, I'm going to, I'm going to be in Antarctica for two months. Mm -hmm. So that's even longer. So I definitely like now I'm grooming somebody to kind of take over as a COO and really run operations. Uh, so I have five months to get to that point. Sure. That like I can disappear for two months yeah. and be good to go. Yeah. You <laughs> so, so here's a great lesson for all of you that are watching and listening to this to this episode. Um, something that I get asked often by my coaching clients is, you know, dude, I've I've built the systems. I feel I'm no longer working in the business. I'm working on the business, but how do I know that I've got enough systems and processes in place to open up a second, third, fourth, whatever restaurant, dental practice, gym, yeah. whatever the thing is that they do? I'm like, oh, it's simple. Go away for three to four weeks. Just go okay, in, like, really? I'm like, yeah, go on a three or four week vacation. And one of two things happen. One, they're like, dude, I feel super confident. I could do that. And they go away and, you know, they come back and like, dude, nothing fell apart. Or yeah, I, yeah. okay, a few things fell apart, but it's fixable. Found yeah. some cracks in the yes, foundation. Yeah. The other thing that happens is, hell no, I'm not going away, which means that there are things that they just didn't want to address. Yeah. Maybe there's like a bad employee or a process they just don't want to touch because they're not excited about selling or marketing or follow-up or whatever the thing is. Yeah. But I'm like, dude, well, there it is. So telling someone to go away for three to four weeks is so either going to show you the problems yeah, or, or show you the opportunity that you Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So good for you for doing that. So you're going from digital now to the physical world in terms of supplements and apparel line. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's next for Fearvana as you look forward like the next five, ten years? The big thing, sort of the flagship thing that we want to build uh, when I'm eventually getting into kind of the tech startup world is building a platform that I'm going to call Fearvana Journeys. The idea is, is to build a virtual world that interacts with the real world that you remember you remember when that Pokemon Go thing came out? Yes. Like, so kind of like using augmented reality in kind of a video game. So I have friends in gamification who are masters at their craft to create this game. But unlike like Pokemon Go where you're just finding eggs or some stupid shit, you're actually like, you're the character in your game and your life is the game. So we want to create this like using Fearvana methodologies, using the, the these guides to, and I'm, I don't know anything about tech startup. Again, I have friends who are way smarter than me in this, but post, I'm, I'm right now focusing on building like like one, getting the brand to a different, like a, kind of the next level. We're on that cusp of that tipping point, you know, where it's really like there, there. Um, uh, uh, but, and so, and, and I wanna focus on for the next two years on an expedition that I'm training for. Once that expedition is done in 2022, that's when we want it. Until then, just keep building the brand, you know, keep building the revenue, keep getting the name out there further. And then I want to, then I'm going to start building this Fearvana Journeys platform. And that I see as the flagship thing. There's honestly nothing like it out there, like a video game that interacts with the real world, but you're the character in your own video mm. game. So it's not like... And your life is the video game. Your life is the video game. Wow. But so the idea is like, I mean, that's what you know, I was saying earlier, is like Fearvana is about helping you find, live and love your worthy struggle. And this will be the tool to help you do that. So I call it your worthy struggle. Your worthy struggle is your path, right? Like I don't, not that passion is a bad thing. Obviously it's great to have passion for what you do, but often when you say follow your passion, it conveys the idea that like life is sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. Like if you do what you love, you'll never do a day of work in your life. And I think that's nonsense. Like I love what I do, but there are days when it's fucking work. Like it's mm -hmm. hard, you know? And so the idea is, and that's why I call it your worthy struggle. Like the struggle worthy of who you are and who you want to be. It doesn't have to be climbing mountains or running ultra marathons or even building a business. It could be, I want to be a school teacher, then be the best in the world at that. You know, like whatever you 
your struggle is. Because like why again, why I call it a struggle is because the, the real question to be asked whenever you're finding out what that is, is not which passion do I want to follow, but which struggle am I willing to endure? Because you're going to retreat and surrender to the lowest like denominator, right? Mm -hmm. Like the chain is as strong as the weakest link. So you're going to fall to the struggle. You're going to fall to what that, what, what you have, what you're willing to endure. And so at any crossroads in life, like work this job I hate, start a business, either path is going to be a struggle. Any crossroads, you name it in relationship, anything, there's going to be a struggle. So the question is, which struggle are you willing to endure? And what I want to do is like help people find, live, and love that and create this sort of game that will help people turn their life into this sort of video game. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I'm blessed with way smarter friends to help me build that. You, you know, funny that you say this. So at the beginning of the episode, um, you know, you talked about the Marine Corps ethos and kind of the saying there, which is embrace the suck, right? Like just just, yeah. just go all in and find the bliss in that. It's, it's really what you're looking to do because all of life is chaos with brief moments of, of bliss and happiness. And if you could just find the joy, like the bliss, the opportunities, the just the fulfillment in that chaos, yeah. like you could really do magical things in yeah. this 100 years or so that you have on this planet. Yeah. Um, purpose. How does someone find their purpose? So uh, great question. You know, so uh, the way the way I kind of help people start is start looking at the things you don't want. It's a little easier to know what we don't want. Like it's very easy for somebody to say, I want nothing to do with climbing Denali or something right, like that. Right. right? right sure. So so start by looking at things you don't want. And you want to like you want to start the framework you want to look at is work backwards from the future, not forwards from the present. So if I say, OK, let's just look five years. Like what's what's my lifestyle look like? Right. So let me start. What are here's the things I don't want. You know, might be some people might say, I don't want to travel. I don't I want to stay at home with the family. Cool. Again, there's no right, wrong. Right. Our our game here that we're playing is what what's our path, what's, the, what's going to trigger our neurochemicals to, to experience bliss. So once we start things we don't want, start looking at things we do want, okay? Start building this out, getting like extremely clear on it. Once you do that, start looking at people who are, who, who look, look around you, look for references of people who are creating that. Who, who's, who has that? And then once you start seeing that, start looking at, okay, can I get that that way? So what I mean by it is you want to start, like I'm all about stretching the limits of the impossible, obviously, but you want to be somewhat realistic. Like I could look at, let's say, LeBron James and say, that dude's living a lifestyle I want. I'm never going to go into the NBA right now. It'd be stupid for me to try, right? They just, like, I'm 36 years old. Like, so right. you want to, like, take some degree of pragmatism about where I am and then also be willing to stretch off the, the, to the impossible, right? There's a duality that play there that both can coexist. So I can say, okay, LeBron James has a lifestyle, but you know what? That path's not for me. There's entrepreneurs, like, okay, Bedros is living a certain life. These other guys are living a certain life. That's kind of, I think I can do that path. Cool. Now let me figure out, who, who, once I figure out who's doing it, how do they think? What are they, what have they done? How are they doing it? You know, when we follow from mentors, it's not just about how, they're, how they did what they did and, and what they did, but the great thing to start asking is what are their belief systems? Because mm -hmm. you will find out, like entrepreneurs like you, they think they have a different belief about business. You will, like if I ask you a question, what do you believe about business? Your answer will, will almost certainly be something positive. You know, like I can, you can, like, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's what I do. It's, I treat it as a hobby. It's something, yeah. yeah you, but if you ask somebody else who's never built it, it might be, they might say things like, I believe a business is hard. It's scary. It's impossible. It's like, so their belief systems about things will be different. So how do they think? Once I have a sense of a path, then I start embarking upon it. Now you're never going to know, as you know, you're never going to know all the steps. So you can say, okay, look, I'm going to choose this worthy struggle, right? This is my worthy struggle. I know I will suffer. I have a sense of the suffering. One of the things I also like to do when I work with people is write down, like this path, these are some of the struggles I will have to endure. You might not know all of them yet. Great. But here's some of the struggles that I know I'll have to endure. Am I willing to endure it? 
almost as a self-check, like exactly. write down what you know you'll, you'll likely endure and go, yeah. am I willing to endure Am I willing that? to endure, yeah. right? So, I mean, even for me, like choosing to be the, the sort of an entrepreneur slash adventurer is very different than a sponsored athlete, right? So this requires its own set of struggles. Mm -hmm. Am I willing to endure it? Obviously, now I've chosen that path. Once you do it, then go ham down that road, like obsess. Let it consume your soul. Live isn't, it, isn't breathe obsession it. bad? Obsession is, I know, love it. <laughs> I know that obsession sometimes has a demonized, like the word is demonized. It is the most beautiful thing in the world to be absolutely obsessed about your craft to the point that it, it, it consumes your very soul. Like you wake up, you breathe it, you live it. Like, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily like the specific thing. Like one thing I, I love doing, like for me, for example, is I have a philosophy statement, a mission statement. So like, just like companies have it, right? So get clear, what's your philosophy about life. So my philosophy is the path to inner peace is the pursuit of a worthy inner war. So that's my philosophy of what I believe life is about. Mm -hmm. So how do we find that inner peace to pursue our own worthy inner war? Call it your inner struggle, right? Like what's your worthy struggle? So my war is this, right? Like I go to war with myself every day whether it be running, building the business, I'm going to war with myself. Ultimately, it's not about whoever else, it's not about the mountain, I'm fighting me. I'm going to battle with myself. And so that's my philosophy statement. So every day it's like, am I living that philosophy? So by crystallizing your philosophy, by crystallizing your mission, by crystallizing your vision, your, uh, crystallize your values. Like as an example, I had to make a really tough decision on Denali whether to take this drug for high altitude pulmonary edema, and which was your lungs fill up with fluid. And I used my value system to guide that decision. Like my fundamental value for Fearvana and myself is self-transcendence so that others may live. That's what it's all about, the number one value. So once I had that crystallized, I used that to make decisions. So once you get clear on all this stuff, then you obsess about it. I know here's my path. And look, obviously things are never going to go exactly as you've lined up. Denali didn't, life doesn't. But then you, you, you adapt, you know, you might go, like when I joined the Marines, I wanted to go career Marines. That changed. Do I have any regrets? Was it a waste of time? Absolutely not. You know, like it was something I'm damn proud of and it shaped me into the person I've become today. So the path changed, but that led me to what I do now. Mm. So go ham on that path and recognize that you're gonna suffer, right? You're gonna struggle on that path. And then you, you keep pursuing it, you obsess about it because obsession like consumes you in the most beautiful way. Like I know you, you asked that question facetiously, like is it bad? But it, it's so beautiful because it consumes you. Like how beautiful is it to wake up like feeling alive that this is who I am, sure. this so, is what I live for. So what about the people, what about the people around around you that say, you know, gee, you just seem so obsessive. You seem so overly consumed with what you're doing. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you handle the people, deal with the people um, that are, I don't want to say they're hating because that's their path. Like if someone wants balance, I'll, I'll always say, I don't have balance in my life. I have a work-life mix. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Uh, when I try and find balance, in fact, a long time ago, my wife's like, hey, let's go to the beach. You could read a book and you can kind of dig your toes into the sand. The idea of that sounded really fucking awesome, dude. And so she's laying next to me. I got my toes in the sand. I'm laying down. I'm reading a book. Like, I, can't, I don't even know five minutes had ticked by. <laughs> I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to go into the water and just, just fight the waves. I'm just going to fight the waves. <laughs> and she goes, why? I'm like, I, I just can't do this. I like books on audio. I need to be driving. I need to be doing multiple things at any given time where I feel this sense of accomplishment. I drove to a destination while learning new stuff, while seeing new things as I'm driving. And I realized something about myself that, that was relaxation for me, just battling the waves, getting exhausted, and the waves were the 
despair in my life and yeah. the and I was battling the inner dragon am I willing to go deeper into the water and deal with bigger waves and get sucked underneath and that gave me a sense of accomplishment when I came out and exhaustion was like you know what yeah. I bet that person who's like snoring sitting like on laying down on the sand has that same level of like bliss that yeah. I do after battling that wave yeah like yeah. just two different experiences exactly. at the beach. Yeah. yeah. And so how do you deal with people like that? And how could someone deal with people who aren't maybe, uh, don't share the same values? You know, the, it's hard because it's, I think it's more, it's rarer to find that level of obsession than it is. And again, it's not a right, wrong thing. Like if that's what you seek, the balance, cool. Right, right. But you're going to lose some relationships along the way. I have. The people who stick around, they get you. They, my, my own family thinks I'm out of my fucking mind with sure. what I do, right? Yeah. So most people do. My friends are like, dude, you're nuts. Like when I put, what do you do for fun? Like I drag tires, I run for 12 hours, you know, I suffer. So you're gonna have people think you're out of your mind, but you're also gonna find a tribe, like my community now, they're obsessive in their own way, you know? And so I think as you grow, as you evolve, your community evolves with you. And then you get to start surrounding yourself with people because when you live at that wavelength, whatever it may be, whatever you seek, right? Again, whether it's like on that obsessive path, you find other obsessives. That's what led me to 100 million. That's why I'm sitting here with you, right? You're clearly, we have that similar mm -hmm. wavelength, right? I couldn't sit on the beach just like you. I'd find I'd go running for 12 hours or something, you know? Sure. So you find your community and it's, it may be rarer and you may lose some people along the way, but the people you will gain as a result will more than like, and I say make up for it, but it'll be, it's profound the people you'll find in your yeah, tribe. Yeah. And you always have like your family might think, and you have to, you have to be willing to recognize that, like you said earlier, and it's a really important point, that everybody operates from their own paradigm of the world. So I, your family will tell you things that you may completely disagree with, but they're like, if, if they're caring, they're telling you from a place of love. They just don't get you, right? Now my family's been like, look, you do whatever you do you. I'm like, you know, we get, right. we, we love you for it, but you do you. So they, the ones who really get it, they'll stick around, they'll, they may think you're out of your mind, but they'll, they'll, they'll be there for you anyway, you yeah. know? Yeah, and that was one of the greatest things, and I, and I, and I think that was a, a really neat way to answer it, to say that it's okay to move on from people in your life who don't share the same value and may not understand, because, Look, there's people in my life who necessarily don't share my same work ethic. One of them is my dear friend, Chanta. I've known him for 25 years. He works for the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandise. He fixes their laptops. And I go, and whenever I text him randomly, I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing right now? He goes, well, my job is to fix MacBooks, but MacBooks never break. So I'm just like chilling like a villain. I could not chill like oh a villain, God. bro. I just can't, right? But he serves five days a week. I love him to pieces. Yeah. And, and in the summer times, he and I are surfing all the time in the mornings. And uh, I'll go, hey, Chanta, I'm going surfing. He's like, but the waves are no good today. I'm like, but I've scheduled surfing into my, into my calendar. That's, so that's <laughs> it's flat, but I'll be the guy paddling and you want to be the guy paddling next to me and he'll just laugh because he goes surfing when the waves are good. I surf when it's scheduled. When scheduled. He's systematized. My, right, exactly. I'm systematized. He's not. And, and so yet he totally knows my kooky ways. And so he'll, he saw like the other day on social media, I'm starting a new, new software company. And I was like, hey, this is the unsexy part of a software company. It was our conference room upstairs. There's 12 of us in there, papers all over the, the conference mm -hmm. table, uh, the, you know, something on the projector screen, all types of energy drinks sitting out for everyone. And we we're like on our 10th hour and, and, uh, and Ed came in and took a, took a picture. But oftentimes people just see the you know, Fitbody logo, the BK logo, this logo, the project logo. Well, before it ever becomes a logo, it hits the Inc. 500 list, an entrepreneur fastest growing 500 list, whatever, it's there in a conference room where we're talking mm -hmm. about how do, we get, how do we get the millions 
who's going to be in charge, what are the tough conversations to have, and what seats uh, are empty that we need to fill. And that's not sexy, but I yeah. thrive off that. Yeah. Yet I know that Chanta would never want anything to do with that. Yeah. And he would just be like, why would anyone do this? <laughs> Yet he would benefit from the software that we create, right? Mm. And so that's very okay. But then I've got other people in my life who are like, dude, you've, you're a different person. I don't know you. And uh, through the help of my therapist, I was able to edit them out of my life. It's a, it's a great tool that Kevin, Kevin Downing, my therapist, taught me. He goes, it's okay to edit people out of your life mm -hmm. or to have edited conversations with those people where if they go, hey, what are you doing now? To tell them I'm starting a new business is just going to be like, wait, you got five already. What's the benefit of a sixth? Like, they don't get it. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, you've done all the crazy, wacky shit. Like, yeah. why now, like, whatever, why? trek across <laughs> Greenland or wherever the next thing is going to be? Because you must. You have to. You, there's no choice. There's no, otherwise, you, you'll probably fall into some deep depression and anxiety. If I stopped working, because, like, financially, I can. Yeah. But if I stopped working, the next thing would be self-sabotage, uh, a, a dark place. You know, yeah. Everyone like, why is Bedros so, like, depressed and anxious, et cetera? Because this is my zone of genius where I thrive, yeah. man. Um, and, and so anyway, for me, I found that I could either edit people out of my life yeah. or hang with people who understand, but they don't have to necessarily embrace that lifestyle. Yeah, it's like yeah. similar. Yeah, I have friends yeah. who have, think I'm out of my mind for running for 24 hours or something, right? Yeah. They'll never do that, but they're like, cool, you know? <laughs> so before we wrap this up, man, uh, what is the, and I'm not going to say what's the craziest thing that you've done, not, not necessarily <laughs> through your lens, because your lens is a little jaded, um, right? Because, I mean, you're, you're, you're extreme. You're extreme. And I love I that. It. I respect that. Like, I recognize that. Um, but through the lens of, you know, the, the, the regular person, what are the, yeah. maybe the top three extreme or crazy things that you've done that either was via endurance, uh, in terms of uh, maybe temperature suffering, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, skiing across Greenland, we spent 28 days dragging a 190-pound sled for 350 miles in minus 40 degrees. That ranks up there. Uh, what was in the sled that was 195 Like pounds? Uh, all your food for the 32 days worth of food and supplies, fuel, your tent. So it's everything to survive in that environment because sure. it's fully self-supported for a month, essentially. And the storms were so intense to, uh, that the following year after my crossing, a British explorer was killed in one of those storms. Wow. So brutal storms that battered the tent. And where, where polar exploration shines is it is an exercise in pure. Like I've experienced a great deal in my life and nothing compares to the level of suffering in polar exploration. Mm. It is mentally, spiritually, and phys physically pure suffering. So like in Greenland, for example, every day you wake up, like I'm like Denali every day, there's a new mount, like new environment when you're moving from camp one to camp two or camp two to camp three. The, the views are different. Sure. In Greenland, every day is empty white nothingness. 12 hours of empty white nothingness and you're just skiing into that and you have to be mentally And it was 32 still. days? Uh, 28 days. We had 32 days, days worth of food, yeah. yeah, but 28 days we were out there. Yeah. Yeah. So that ranks up there. Uh, I'm trying to think like what um, I did <laughs> for when the, when the COVID thing first hit, I wanted to show people like, okay, look, we can still push ourselves. We don't need to be at the effect of this circumstance. Yeah. So I did a 50 mile run around a cul-de-sac. A thousand loops just going mind-numbing all night around this like 0 0.05 mile cul-de-sac and three weeks later I did a 24-hour run after that so some of those runs rank up there as well um, did you I'm, I'm just curious and I'll no. tell you why did you change directions halfway through or so every hour I would do a quick nutrition break and then I would like yeah switch the okay. cul-de-sac the reason I ask so my father-in-law my wife's dad uh, he's, a, he's a doctor he's a he's a physician and he he had a patient who was major OCD and she was diabetic. And so she comes to the office, she was overweight. Um, 
And so he's like, you know what? You know, we could really cure this diabetes if you lose the weight. Yeah. It's, it's simple enough. And she's like, okay, what do I need to do? He's like, just exercise. Get tennis shoes and start walking. Well, they live in Seattle. Lots of rain. Yeah. Right. And not everybody wants to go out and run and, and move in the rain. So yeah. she took the doctor's orders. And so she straps on her tennis shoes and she walks around the coffee table every single day, like for miles at a time, right? No way. In one direction. <laughs> and so three months later, she comes to visit uh, the doctor, my father-in-law, and holy smokes, like your numbers are great. Your blood sugar numbers are fantastic. Yeah. You've lost weight. You look great. She's like, I got this massive pain in my hips, right? one side and he can't figure it out then he looks at her shoes and they're just like worn out like in one way right he's like what what I, some tells me those are connected what happened what were you doing to lose this weight i know you like where were you running exercising she's like, oh just around my coffee table in the house right he's like okay switch directions every day every yeah. every other day just switch directions yeah. and that was the cure because she just goes ocd and just went that's just what one. that's why yeah. I asked. so <laughs> great story no that's partly yeah. why i switched i knew that one side would uh yeah, trigger yeah, yeah. more if i'm just going yeah. um so those were yeah those were a couple of them and then you know other than the darkness retreat which was pretty intense like one of the ones which i don't know if it's the most craziest but definitely one of the most beautiful experiences was uh right before i did the darkness retreat i did a uh, we were going to Liberia in West Africa to do like a sort of two weeks of humanitarian work and yeah. filming a documentary out there. And uh, as one does, I decided to run across the country before the documentary started to raise funds to build a school. So I did a seven day run, about a marathon a day for one week. And what made it tense was not just the running marathon a day a week. I was doing it in a country that had been through Ebola, brutal civil war, intense, like intense poverty, mm -hmm. running through a country I'd never been through before. I didn't know anybody. And I mean, I stood out like I don't look like everybody in Liberia, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So, uh, I mean, it was a profoundly beautiful experience. Just as one quick example was, you know, the first day these two kids started running with me and we were starting chatting and like one kid wanted to go to uh, medical school. The other wanted to go to vocational training school. They lived in a tiny village in this like middle of nowhere, Liberia. And the odds of that happening were damn near zero. Yeah. And it just was so... Like, as I was running the rest, you know, just like, what, what's the difference between me and that kid? Why, I, I was born where I was born. As a result, I was blessed with a million times more opportunities. And he happened to be born in a country where one of the kids had lost his father to the war and uh, living with the other kid because his mm -hmm. mother had run off. And um, born in, like, hell, you know, and what, you know, because I know you're a, little, you're a little bit about your story. Yeah. And, and it just was a very humbling experience to... Uh, see that like that side if i've been blessed to see a lot of it in poverty in india working with leper colonies working at like survivors of sex trafficking the former child soldiers and stuff so and being in war of course as well so that was really that was a really profound experience to get that like and then you add the seven days of running in like miserable heat so the intensity of all of that combined yeah. was really profound actually i gotta tell you brother you uh you, you definitely have taken suffering to a whole new level <laughs> in terms of being also able to articulate the beauty that it it creates in humanity like you know we'll look at we'll look at david goggins and we see that he just does incredible shit right like 4000 pull-ups in 24 hours or whatever and you know the mileage that he covers and he's just so profound in the way he explains about constantly beating yourself down to build yourself up but in terms of explaining articulating that how suffering really helps your consciousness shine and you get to meet this higher level of person. I haven't met anyone who can articulate that 
and draw that word picture out as, uh, as clearly as you. And so you are a gifted man. Thank you Thank for that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Where, where can our audience find you and learn more about Fiervana and maybe even start maybe embracing some of these journeys and challenges themselves? Uh, the book Fiervana is on Amazon and Audible Kindle paperback. And as I mentioned, all the proceeds go to to the nonprofit Fiervana Foundation. And then you can find me at fiervana.com as well. Right on, man. Well, thank you yeah. so much for joining us on thank the show you, today. Appreciate you. Guys and gals, do me a favor. And uh, again, Fearvana is the book. You can find it on Amazon. And it's high time that you start suffering and finding the That's higher it. level of who you are and what you're meant to do on this planet. Thank you so much for watching this episode. Listening to this episode, as always, be sure to leave us a five-star review on the podcast platforms and as well as take a screenshot and tag both Akshay and myself on your social media platforms. We'll see you later. 